Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So we'd like to uh, welcome everyone to uh, this week's podcast, Mornings with Joel, our CRE podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Rob Mullis, a buddy of mine who I go back with uh, quite a few years, and uh, we're excited about seeing him and his project. Uh, he's going to have a very big day today, so we'll uh, maybe talk about that in a little bit of detail. <laughs> Rod has uh, done a lot of things and come a long way, and so we certainly appreciate him being here with us today and uh, appreciate all of you joining as well. Just to give you a little idea of the format here, basically, this is like a fireside chat type situation. There's nothing formal. And uh, if you have questions, just post those in the chat. We'll be happy to uh, have you ask your questions and be part of the discussion because uh, it's really for the audience. It's not for me. I could call Rod and talk to him anytime offline. So this is really for everyone else to uh, get access to certain movers and shakers that are in the industry, uh, individuals that are making it happen. And we're watching that firsthand. We have a front row seat to the excellence of Rod Mullis. And now he's knocking it out the park. See, anytime I call anywhere around the country now, they always say, well, you need to talk to Rod. So, you know, that's what it's become. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rod, good to have you with us today. We're so happy to, that you're here. Well, thank you for the flattery. So uh, it's good to talk to you. You know, I remember when I was calling you asking folks around the country, who do I need to talk to? They said, Joel Miller. <laughs> hey, it goes back and forth, man. Let's swing. The it's all good. It's all good. Glad, glad we're able to help each other over the years. So that's what it's all about. But anyway, let's let's talk a little bit for those who are not as familiar with you, you know, because you, you haven't hit the cover of Forbes yet. I'm sure that will be uh, 2022. <laughs> but one and two, I just talk a little bit about your background. We know that um, you started off in commercial real estate as a realtor and you had a special focus in that particular space. Why don't you tell us about that as we kind of get rolling here so we know a little bit about your background, Rod? Yeah, well, you know, I started in commercial real estate in 2008, 2009 to acquire some skills that I did not have. And so the best place to do that is, is at a commercial real estate services firm. And I uh, got recruited and joined Newmark Knight Frank, a New, uh, New York-based firm in their Atlanta office in Atlantic Station. But prior to that, I worked in construction and with engineering firms for uh, almost 18, 19 years. My claim to fame was working in infrastructure projects. We did some work with MARTA um, on their tracks, and we did my firm's Copper Engineering, and then Montgomery Watson, and then Jacobs Engineering. We worked on a sewer program, which was a $3 billion rehab of the sewer system. And from that view, um, I got a understanding of how real estate was dependent on infrastructure, and it informed my philosophy about what I wanted to do and how to create value, especially in underserved communities. And so I joined Newmark and I didn't have a lot of market analysis skills. I didn't have a lot of financial analysis skills. It, it was hard for me to determine it was a great location, a great site. So I went there to, to get those hard skills from real estate. But I had to trade on something I knew at the time. And what I knew was infrastructure. And I had relationships inside of the city in the MARTA 
And Newmark did some work with MTA in New York. And um, I connected with a very good friend who was world-renowned financial analyst from Newmark, uh, Ramel Canetti. And and we started doing consulting work for MARTA about their TOD program. Okay. how I got into the space and kind of a progression from engineering firms, infrastructure, commercial real estate service firms, infrastructure, and then obviously, you know, the rest. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. So I know you had a focus also in the um, commercial real estate space of focusing on properties that had access to transportation lines. How did that all kind of come together? It seems like it was just really a bridge for what you were doing before. It, it is a bridge. You always build upon what you have. And so don't go and turn, you know, 180 degrees away from what you've got and the relationships that you have. And so it's easier to take a relationship and move them to a different space than to start a new relationship. Mm-hmm. So we uh, focus on TLD. Um, Newmark as a firm had a core competency on it from a real estate standpoint. I had relationships in it. Mm-hmm. And and we just thought, and we looked at the value creation. We talked about uh, 2008, 2009, and how the market was down. And it's very purposeful for me to go into real estate at that time. Mm-hmm. You didn't love real estate in 2008, 2000, yeah. 2010. <laughs> leave, okay? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, that was too hard to stay in it. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were out, okay? And so we went in at that time, understanding that it's going to be bumpy for a couple of years, but we felt that uh, it would be a time that we could, you know, sharpen our skills. And then when everybody was looking at TODs and looking at the value creation around transit, we were known as somebody who had some insight into that and a little credibility. And our first project to speak to that is a hundred yards away from the College Park Martyr Station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, I'm looking at that picture behind you, <laughs> and uh, I remember being out there walking that. There was an old rundown house right there to the right. You know, it was kind of rundown, and we walked the whole lot, and it was nothing but grass and trees. And and then look at what it is today. You know, when we uh, we had the vision for this, and we wanted to do this. We had a vision for this in 2012. When we did a study for Marler mm-hmm. and we looked at 38 of their stations and the top two correlations of ins and outs of any two stations inside of the 38 station system was mm-hmm. parked to the airport. And I, and I went down, I talked to Barbara Coffey, who was the economic developer at the time. She said, hey, I know we got something great here, but I can't convince anybody to, to, to bite on it. And uh, Leadership Matters, uh, the city of College Park at that time did not have a city manager. They hired a city manager in 2013. City manager came in, says, hey, I know you're at Newmark. Uh, I know you want to develop, but I got an immediate need next door to the lot that you want to develop. Mm-hmm. And- H lease is coming up for renewal and we need some help on that. And it was probably the best thing that that could have happened to me at the time. It was 217,000 square feet. You know, I didn't know it. I wanted to develop at that time. And they said, hey, help us with this lease. And so we did. We would do FAA for another uh, 10 years. 
We close on the lease for the City of College Park Downtown Development Authority, um, excuse me, Business Industrial Development Authority in March of 2014. And the next put the land for the pad under contract. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can't see the area around there, but it, it's wound up turning into a very productive area. You know, to the right there, you have the FHA offices directly across. You've got the hotel. And then right behind that, you've got the motor station. So it's an excellent location. And what was one of the, the advantages of the way it was built uh, as it relates to people in the airline industry? My sister was the inspiration of the pad. She uh, worked, uh, she still does work for Delta. She lives in Brooklyn. And when she first moved out there flying out of LaGuardia, it was really, really tough for her to find a place to live on a flight attendant salary, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get back and forth, trying to be safe. And so we, we wanted to create a space where um, we kind of focused on the people serving the airline industry. And um, we got a lot of good buy-in from the HR department, from uh, Delta. Uh, they would do a lot of training at the pad. We made our rooms available. Okay. And um, we were very, very uh, happy with that. You know, the pandemic, we thought the pandemic was going to have a negative impact on us. It did not, actually. Our, our occupancy has increased to 98%. We were tracking mm-hmm. 93% prior to the pandemic. And so our tenant base has shifted. Uh, it was about 45% airline workers. Now it's down probably about 25% with logistics and people living and uh, working in the midtown areas, picking out the, the balance of our, our residents. I mean, we are probably tracking about 105, 106. Uh, units that are occupied now, and but today's a big day, Joel. You know, yeah, this, man. <clears throat> today's a big day the for the pad. <laughs> <laughs> today's the big day for the pad. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about that because before we get into your other projects, what's so special about today and and the pad? And let me say this first because I think this is important. So you got a a sister of yours that is having trouble trying to find a place to stay, and the issues with getting in and out of Laguardia. Even getting from Brooklyn to LaGuardia could be a little bit of a challenge. Obviously, growing up in New York, I know that. But to have a brother build her a building, I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> what a brother. Well, yeah. I tell you, man. Just, yeah, I'll build you a building near the airport. How about that? So that's quite well, a story. And, and, and that's, a mission for, that's, that's a mission for us. That, that is, that, I, I'm glad you said that because that, there's a mission. I tell us to our property management teams, our mission is that we want to build buildings that my mother, my daughter, my sister can live in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to build anything or maintain anything that I'm not going to, you know, make sure that those women can't live in those in those buildings. And so um, that's an ethos that we take with all of our design and construction operations of our building. Gotcha. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So tell me, what's the big deal, man? Why, why is today such a big day for the pad? What's going on? It's, it's called Disposition Day. <laughs> <laughs> we're, selling, we're selling the pad. It, it, it was a vision that we had for 2012. who I teamed up to do the financial analysis at MARTA. He and I put together a business plan. Well, it's the business plan that I put together at the uh, mid-career program at Harvard. 
And we uh, recruited a team to include Michael and Jerome Russell, who came in as co-sponsors of the deal with us. We've had, you know, investors with us since March of 2015 and, excuse me, May of 2015. And we had a five-year business plan and the pandemic got in the way of that. We were scheduled to sell, go to market last year. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, today we are, we're turning the pad over to new ownership. All right. All right. Money back giving money back to our investors, giving our investors a return on their money also. Very good. Very good. Very good. So from now on, you got to treat me to lunch as opposed to me treating you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 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 that money's gone into other projects. I hear you. I hear you. And and, and expanding the team. I I think we have a couple of team members on the call, Lester Simpson and uh, Philip Rogers. So we upgraded the team also. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, so now you got to rinse and repeat and, and do it over again. And I understand you already have some other projects in the hopper. So, uh, what's well, you know, I, ha- I have one of my investors here. One of the projects that we have, and I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, financial structuring. Mm-hmm. One, one of my partners here is Joe Harlan. Joe is invested with us in a project that we started construction in January of uh, 2019, Temple Square which we delivered two buildings in the middle of a pandemic in May and August. Mm-hmm. We've been able to hold on to that deal. It was going to originally be a for sale deal. Um, we were able to hold on that deal because our leverage was low and mm-hmm. we leveraged the deal at 65% and um, been able to kind of work through it. We started leasing on the deal today. Uh, okay. We have renters who are moving in today. So we have Temple Square. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're now using as a build-a-rent model. And uh, hopefully we'll have it all leased up in the leasing season now. We'll have it all leased up in the next 90, uh, no more than 120 days. Uh, renting as now that we're getting 22 to $2,300 a month for the rent. Three-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath, two-car garage. So we, we feel very good with that product. What's the unit count on that? Currently, we have 12 units. Is it like a townhouse community or just a small? Just small a townhouse community. community. Okay. Two buildings. We have a pad for one more building, which we'll do us after we rent up. You know, mm-hmm. or if somebody comes in and wants to buy it from me now, we'll sell it. Uh, good cash flow. Uh, we've taken the risk out of the deal for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have that. I'm very pleased that we're able to hold on during this pandemic and getting some cash flow coming in now. And then we have two more projects on the on the board. We have the Proctor, which is on the west side Beltline, about a third of a mile from the new Microsoft headquarters that's been announced, three blocks away from the Lincoln Properties Echo Yards, which is about a $275 million development, about a half a mile from Georgia Tech, and a quarter of a mile for the new bio science lab from Georgia Tech that's uh, Trammell Crow's building. So we're very excited about uh, the Proctor. We got great buy-in from the English Avenue Neighborhood Association. Same design team that we had at the pad and Temple, uh, Temple Square is with us, Niles Bolton. Mm-hmm. Great relationship with uh, Rowan Stewart. Uh, same civil engineering firm, Everlyn & Associates, led by Kevin Edwards, uh, brother and Mike Wright. Same uh, MEP uh, engineers. Um, A.J. Russell's with us again. 
Michael Russell is kind of leading the way. Mm-hmm. And we've been fortunate to uh, attract the, the interest of uh, a couple of big time pension funds for this deal. And so we are pretty close to putting everything to bed. We trading term sheets for the equity and have uh, term sheets in for the debt. So we feel comfortable that we're looking at a June start on the Proctor. Uh, it'll be about 128 to 138 units. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to set aside 14 of the units for the people in English Avenue who are making $27,000 or less. Okay. But this is a Class A building. This is this building is ritzier than the pad. But mm. it's going to give people who, who are in that community an opportunity to stay in that community. We, we believe in Black wealth, so we're going to uh, sell six flex spaces that are live workspaces. And if for folks in Atlanta, think of, you know, studio plex mm-hmm. and, and six of those, we're going to sell them at a reduced rate to stakeholders in the neighborhood and they can buy them, get it financed from Invest Atlanta and run a business out of that. Uh, we're only a block away from the uh, Westside Beltline connector. So we want to see those people get into a entrepreneurial situation and mm-hmm. eat the uplift in the uh, in the market. So we're very, we're very happy. We're going to also have about six units that are going to be flex spaces. They're going to have roughly about 16 to 1800 square feet. True New York loft on the top, uh, on the bottom, high ceilings, you know, 20, 22 feet ceilings. They can look off into the belt line. We're right next door to uh, Steve Brock. Brock built um, their mm-hmm. development. Houses are selling in that um, across the street from us for like four fifty, five hundred thousand dollars for townhouses. So we're very, very happy about that. Yeah. And our second development, which we rebooted, uh, is uh, the Gordon in downtown Shamley, Shamley Dunwoody Road. Mm-hmm. Very hot area. Very fortunate to be brought in that area. Initially, we were going to have two buildings that we got approved for owning um, back in 2019, total of 56 units for sale. Now we're, we have the same footprint, but we increased the building density from 56 units to 141 units, 7,000 square feet of retail. Shambly is a really hot market. We're really privileged to, to be invited into the community. Mm-hmm. And that uh, also we have uh, term sheets out on that. And uh, that's also looking like a June start. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. <clears throat> so these things are, are coming together and it's it's so good when you see a plan uh, execute. I know the Gordon, as you mentioned, has uh, been around for a minute, but like you said, you had to reboot it and uh, didn't throw away all the work that you had in it. Just keep going. So that's the way to go, man. Just keep, keep it moving. So I did want to mention also uh, to all of our guests, um, if you do have any questions or things like that, this is an open discussion here. Feel free to post any questions in the chat. And uh, then unmute yourself, and we're happy to um, hear from you and ask any questions that you might have for, for Rod. So, but in the meantime, we'll we'll keep on going. And uh, let me ask you about this, Rod, as we continue on. You know, we we both um, been to the uh, New York Stirs meetings and and a lot of the other pension meetings, and there's a lot of talk about emerging managers and and people really getting rolling in the space. What recommendations would you have for ones that are looking to, like yourself, a few years ago, kind of get really rolling? in the space, whether it's uh, as a developer, whether it's as a 
uh, a fund manager or whatever the case might be, but some aspect of CRE, uh, what would you recommend at this point in time? Well, I mean, uh, know what drives you, know what you know, you know what will make you get up early every morning to do it and kind of focus on that. And then, then know what you are not good at or know where you have a skill gap. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then start building your team to fit those gaps is the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then pick an area and scale because you can't do this business at a pension fund level if you're not scaling. And you and I just had a conversation and mm-hmm. about a deal and... You know, it was 100 units. And I said, hey, man, can we take it to 225? <laughs> and so for folks who are putting money out and they're putting out 600 and a billion, $2 billion a year, they need scale. And mm-hmm. so the minimum that they're looking to do with a, an emerging manager fund is, you know, million, both our new deals are that high. So with that understanding, build a team that can execute at that level. And for us, we knew we wanted to get to that level. So we overpaid for our accounting firm. We work with the largest accounting firm in the city, Aprio. We overpaid and we had our, our team, Kimberly Melton, you know, doing investor reports, okay? And we bought a software to do investor reports. And um, we just bought another software to uh, help us with our draws, on automate our draw process for our projects. So invest in your infrastructure capacity early. Live very, very frugally a long time. <laughs> Live below your means a lot. Mm-hmm. And build a team that can, you know, take down 40 and 50 and 60 million dollar projects. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's very important. You know, you, you talk about building a team because uh, with this type of business and these type of dollars, if you try to do it as a lone ranger, you're, you're just really banging your head against the wall. You know, you have to have people and, and resources that are part of that team that can get you indoors and, and really make things happen and have the expertise in areas that you don't. So uh, I completely agree with that. And I think you've done a great job at, at doing that in order to uh, pull this all together. So excellent job, you know, in, in the amount of years that you've been in the game, uh, you certainly come a long way. So that's that's uh, certainly kudos to you, you know, from that standpoint. So let, let's talk a little bit also about trends in the marketplace, because you talked about something that I thought was interesting. One of the projects you, you had mentioned how you have um, a section where you will sell Possibly, it almost sounds like office condos, or you're doing some uh, type of retail in some of these other areas. What what do you see as the real market uh, out there as it relates to retail and, and office condos and that type thing? Um, uh, zoned or, or what, what's your thought? Yeah, so for us, we are a mission-driven firm also, and we try to apply market solutions to some of the um, gaps in the market that we are in. And so I believe if you teach a man to fish, he will create a legacy or she will create a legacy. Mm-hmm. So I believe very deeply in black entrepreneurship. And we went into the English Avenues community. Mm-hmm. Thing I said is like, 
I want to see more people who look like me win in this development. If you're an investor with me, you win when we dispose of it. But uh, long term, I want to see some businesses created Mm -hmm. and, and some legacy wealth created. And so we came up with this flex space based upon what you see in a lot of other communities and what you see in Mexico or Costa Rica or other parts of the world. And we're just going to give a a small business person, 850, maybe, you know, 900 square feet. They can maybe live in a hundred square foot, 200 square foot area in the back, and they can make a go of it with whatever their business is. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's how we had the flex space that we're selling like an office space. And our view of it was, is that they couldn't get into a development and, and Pont City Market or, you know, Fifth Avenue, New York or whatever, and paying the credit and background checks, paying, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks a square foot. But they could have something here and they could put their sweat in it. So we, we're trying to tailor a solution for that community. Retail is really, you know, market by market, sub-market by sub-market, you know, location by location. We're looking at Shambly. We've got a leasing program. Uh, we're talking to the leasing brokers in that market, the landlord brokers in that market. Talk to the young lady, Kimberly Dart, who did the leasing for the Whole Foods on Peachtree Boulevard. She's currently doing uh, leasing for Shambly Plaza that just got the new Publix over there. She was getting between 40 bucks and $60 a square foot at Whole Foods. Mm. She's getting $34 a square foot at uh, Shamu Plaza and turning people away, right? Mm. And so it's, there is a churning in the market and you, you, uh, you just have to be, you know, have your eye and ear close to the ground to see how that's moving. There are other markets, you know, where, you know, you thought it was going to really be really bad because of the pandemic and it's just taken off. When I got to College Park at the at the pad and started construction, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, Joel, mm. uh, your investors did because they came out. <laughs> they said they said half the stores are empty on Main Street in College Park. Yeah. Well, uh, now that even in a pandemic, the vacancy is about ten percent. Mm. Filled up with Virgil's Gulagichi uh, restaurant, which is was on Good Morning America last month, and oh, wow. and Hanks and Corner Grill. And the proudest thing about College Park is for me is that how many Black entrepreneurs, how many came in after built the pad and have thriving businesses over there. So I think it if you have a unique place that has a kind of a village feel to it, which are the areas we like to develop in. I think there's opportunities for retail. I think there's opportunities to create spaces that black entrepreneurs can get in and create a legacy for their family. Yeah, yeah, very good point. <clears throat> I know for myself, I'm, I'm very impressed with the uh, English Avenue uh, project. Uh, I've looked at quite a few things over there and that was always the the issue in the back of my mind. How do we make sure that all these people are not dispossessed? And it's just uh, you know Bobby and Sue with the uh, ponytails and the and the yoga pants. You know <laughs> we want to make sure that um, it stays consistent and that people that live there do not get dispossessed. So 
you know, that's uh, is, is really impressive. It's really important, too, that it, it plays in with that uh, that mission that you say. So that's that's a really good thing. Let me do this real quick. Brandon Baines has a uh, question that he wants to bring out. Brandon, you mind unmuting yourself and asking your question? Oh, yes, sir. Um, my question is more um, presented towards the development, um, how you kind of like fund your deal. Um, I went to Cornell for a short period, um, learning how to commercial real estate develop. And what I was hearing was that most developers typically get 65% from the bank and 15 to 25% from either a rent or a hedge fund. And the rest of it typically comes from the developer. And I was kind of gearing it more towards is that typically like how you structure your deals or typically do you get most of your money typically from like the, the outside money or the private private money firms? Well, well, well the, our first deals, uh, we would go in and talk to people like Joel and Joe <laughs> and everybody else, right? We call our friends and family money, but we treated, treated them like they were, uh, they were institutional investors because that's where we always wanted to be. So we gave them strong reporting and, you know, told them the good, bad, and ugly. Now our deal structures are uh, 60-40, where uh, our um, institutional partners are putting up 95% of the 40%, and we put up 5%. But we have to carry the deal um, until we close. So that's generally uh, in the neighborhood of um, anywhere from 300000 to a million dollars to get a deal from uh, Vision to uh, Shovel Ready. And so uh, that's the heavy lift for us. And we've uh, come up with, you know, uh, partners to uh, help us get there. Um, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the role, how we capitalize our deals. All right, Brandon, did that answer your question? Yes, sir, it did. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Appreciate that. Thanks for joining in and, and being part of the discussion today. Uh, Deneen, you had a question also. Uh, she said, give us your insights on the Six West development in College Park and how it will impact that area and surrounding areas during the next 10 years. Uh, what opportunities do you see for developers to enter into that space in that area? So what do you think about that, Rod? Yeah, I was having um, I, I, I I technical difficulties, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, well, and key is, you know, what what opportunities do you see in that area um, <clears throat> for developers, for people that are trying to enter into that space? What things should they be focusing on if they would like to enter that space? I, I think that, um, remember how we got to College Park. We, we renewed the lease for the FAA. But more importantly, we got them to move 380 jobs that was at the Camp Creek East Point Duke Realty location next door to the pad, okay? And when we got, the, when we got that, we solidified 1,100 jobs for 10 years. And it was an easier conversation with our investors at that particular point in time. We could say, hey, we know we have an institutional quality asset next door with 11,000 jobs, I mean, 1,100 jobs that's going to be there for 10 years. And so I think for Six West or any big mixed use development from Assembly, which um, we just, was in the news today, or 
Microsoft or Google that's over in Midtown or Airbnb, which Dallas Smith is representing now. The, the linchpin is we have to get daytime users in industries that have a life and that's going to grow over the next 10 years. So if for Six West, somehow, some way, they need to attract a big corporate user uh, to that site to, to jump jumpstart that site. And the reason why we are in English Avenue is because of Microsoft and Georgia Tech in the life sciences. So it begins and ends with jobs. The reason why we're in Shambly, it is smack in the middle of 130,000 jobs at the perimeter and 125,000 jobs in Buckhead. You got the CDC down the street. You got Mercer University. You got the FBI. So it's, it's jobs, jobs, jobs. And so if Six West is going to be successful in the next 10 years, they need to land a major corporate user. Now, in, in that, do we do we move forward with looking at demographic trends in that area, um, assess those opportunities for people? And um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is if I'm a small developer and I want to get in on that Six West in, de- in development in some sort of way, do I watch the the demographic trends? What do what should I keep an eye out for in in regards to opportunities I might have? So let me tell you. Let me tell you how we when we made the decision to pivot at Temple Square, which was a for sale product, and we were going to do. And Joe knows this very well because he got the investor report. Sure, Harlan got the investor report. When Delta started laying people off and saying, we're going to, we're going to, you know, get voluntary retirement. We like, okay, nobody is going to make a decision for a while on the 30, 30 year uh, commitment. Right. And so until Delta and the airport gets back to their capacity where they were in February of 2020, um, I think that there's going to be a view that the market's not stabilized yet and for six West. And but it may change. You may have you may have, I don't know, uh, Uber decide that they want to move and have their southeastern headquarters at six West. Okay. It's going, it's not demographic trends, it's going to be jobs. It's going to be a big company. Who has who wants to make their presence in that submarket? Okay. Thank you. All right, sounds good. Thanks as always, Deneen, for all you do. We appreciate you, Rod. Let me um, pivot a little bit and, and talk to you about something else that's uh, probably on the minds of a lot of people and a big issue in the marketplace, uh, especially up north. You know, there's been a lot of well, I don't want to say rent strikes, but situations where tenants are not paying rent uh, because of COVID and there's been um, postponements. There's a word I'm looking for, and I can't grab it right now. But obviously, delays and people having to pay rent. You the know, eviction for, process has been delayed, right? It's been delayed, right? It's been frozen for a while. So, do you think that that has anything to do with the activity in the marketplace right now? We're seeing cap rates fall. Um, what's really going on, and how do you think that's going to impact things going forward, especially if we have a false surge in the marketplace? Yeah. So, from us, uh, I will say that 
we, at March, when everything shut down to today, March again, our rents have increased at the pad. Our occupancy is at 98%. And we've only had two people not pay in a year. Hmm. And that's out of like 106 people, uh, 106 units. And those two people, for whatever reason, couldn't get it together. Uh, the federal government, tw- three times now, has been more than generous in setting aside rental assistance. And so as a team, we have, I have weekly calls with our team, our property management team. As a team, I said, it's help our residents who we know are struggling apply for the rental assistance. We have five people who, for whatever reason at the time, needed rental assistance. And we helped them get there. We worked with them. We talked to them. So for us, it has not been uh, impact at all because we had a willing partner and Catholic Charities, United Way, Fulton County Housing Authority, and they kind of stepped in and filled it for these folks. And then we had very generous unemployment benefits. Uh, they had uh, decreased, but well, very generous unemployment benefits. And 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 I think it, the government over the last year um, did their job and it saved a lot of people. Some smaller landlords or property management firms may not have been more as proactive as we have been, and they may be suffering. The tenants may not have been working in or are familiar with what's going on. Our communications with our online portal is very robust, and, and we, have, we had relationships with the residents prior to something bad happening, and so it was easy, uh, easy conversation. So the better run operations that could lease online, who could, had had a virtual operation, they haven't seen a negative impact. And, and I would say, I just read an article on Globe Street, and they said Atlanta is leading the nation in rent growth. Mm-hmm. And inside of Atlanta, you're seeing Henry County, South Southwest, and Southeast DeKalb and Clayton County having double-digit rent growth. So I, I think that that's something to say about Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's a that's a very good point. I'm going to jump into that a little bit more because there, there's some other points to be made about that, especially the idea of jumping into areas where people run away from, uh, such as Clayton County and, and other areas like this. It might be an opportunity to really do some good in those areas. So I think that's a very good point. Um, Brandon, you had another question. Let's let you go ahead and uh, take the mic and and ask your questions. Yes, Mr. Rod. Last question. Do you develop affordable housing projects? If so, what was your hardest part of getting funding and government grants? And if not, why? I I do not. And the reason why I don't do it is that my partners do it. So uh, H.J. Russell has a portfolio of affordable housing. Eric Pickney, who is a partner with Intergrow, is also a partner at Windsor Stevens. They have a 9,000 uh, affordable housing units. And so when I came into the market, if I wanted to align myself with those guys and bring them in and, and help me, um, I said, hey, I'm not going to be in affordable housing development. There's a market rate component. So we do not 
uh, engage in affordable housing. We are doing a small component of affordable housing over in the English Avenue neighborhood because the neighborhood said we wanted to see some units as part of and height variance for your zoning. And we're working collaboratively with Invest Atlanta to make that happen. But uh, we are not. We are a market rate firm. That's what we do. Okay. And my last question is, do you feel like the government is the hardest entity to work with when you're doing your development proposals? Because I know um, me being in the, like sitting in front of a lot of council meetings, listening to a lot of pro- development proposals or just being a part of GBH and listening, that's typically, typically what everybody keeps complaining about. It's like, okay, the government is doing this, all these red flags. And me listening to a lot of comprehension plans with cities, they're kind of like, this is what we want. Please develop this. And then trying to come and be in an intermediary and just saying, okay, well, if you ask for this, I can develop this within a price point that you're suitable for. Can we work together? How's that been for you? You know, we, we, we're market right. And so the trade-off for us is Joel and I were talking about the, when we started the house, the little flop house <laughs> that was uh, where the, on the site. And so the, the city of College Park and Fulton County was collecting about $2,000 on a three and a half acre site in downtown College Park. And so when we developed it, the taxes jumped up to $250,000, right? So the trade-off for us is on the market rate, we'll come into a community and we increase their tax base. So we're in the city of Atlanta now, and we're having the conversations with Invest Atlanta in the neighborhood. And our project is sits inside of the West Side tab. Right now, the property is generated about two or 3,000, maybe $5,000 of tax increment for that for that uh, area inside the West Side Tad. We're, we're projecting when we finish developing, the valuation will have the property be generating $600,000 uh, a year in, in tax income. That tax income will then be allowed to go towards something called the West Side, West Side Tad area and increase their increment and allow for more housing to be developed with an affordable component to it. So we like to think of ourselves as adding to the tax base. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as creating opportunities for additional affordable housing units or additional activity to be done. So we try to do it in a way that is helpful. Now, the big argument, uh, Brandon, and for everybody was that we're gonna have gentrification. That was the big argument. Uh, that we're we're building all of these new buildings and these houses in Atlanta and we're going to have gentrification. Well, we got the numbers in since 2017 to today. We added 100,000 new residents to city limits of Atlanta. 54% of those folks were Black. And so we don't have a gentrification problem. We have a problem with poverty and making sure that people who don't have the means to earn a good living or from education or, you know, that's our issue. But it's not a gentrification, especially in a city like Atlanta, because there's a lot enough young people like my daughter and other people who are moving here and want to be a part of it. And they feel strong and comfortable being in them. So I would encourage us to uh, think of some 
additional tools to help folks not have affordable housing, but earn more money. All right. Appreciate that. Brandon, are you good with that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was amazing. Thank you. Okay. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> we appreciate that. All right. So we're down to about 12 minutes. Um, as, as we wrap up here, Rod, um, talk to me about positioning. Uh, as we go into, um, you know, we're still looking into that black hole, right? We don't know whether COVID's going to come back. We don't know how effective the virus is in, in effectively slowing it down because we're seeing growth right now. There's talk about a fourth wave coming of uh, COVID infections. But with all that aside, what are your thoughts as it relates to uh, positioning coming out of COVID? Where as should uh, people position themselves if they're wanting to be investors, developers, and have other roles in commercial real estate as we come out of this COVID situation? I, I think that technology is going to be a big winner. And so I, I look at real estate based upon the industries that drive the real estate, right? And I try to align myself with those industries. And if I align myself with those industries, the real estate should be okay, right? So I think that if you if you think about COVID, a COVID world, medical, medical research, pharmaceuticals, all are winners, right? Mm -hmm. I would say transportation, you know, big box retail are, are not winners, okay? Hotels, you know, are not winners. Cruise ships, <laughs> when soon, they're not winners. <laughs> Casinos are not winners, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so if you look at what was winning in September and you think that we're going to revert back to, you know, September, October, November, where we had the third third wave surge, then align your real estate portfolio around those industries that were winning. Technology was win Zoom, Microsoft, Teams. So Tesla was doing real well last Tesla's year. doing real well. Yeah. So I, I think that you just have to, in every environment, there are going to be winners and losers. Identify who the winners are very quickly. And then align yourselves and look at it from an industry standpoint, not from a, I like this location. Well, it's, it's, it is a great location, but you know, you know, it might be serving the wrong industry at this particular point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really a, a powerful point. Um, like you said, every, every market cycle, even if it's the unexpected like this, there will be winners, there will be losers. Uh, there are some industries that are doing extremely well right now, despite COVID, and some are getting crushed. So, you know, aligning yourself with those winners, I think that's very, very, a very powerful point uh, as we look at that. So, and what, what's finally your, your thought on, on office? Um, you know, we often look at projects where there is some type of uh, retail or office component. <clears throat> Do you think just general office is, is done for a while? Do you think people are going to be going back to their offices? Is WeWork coming back? Uh, what's your your general thought on that? Well, I think rework is it's about I think we work as a failed business model, right? It's a model where you you know you take on long term obligations and you have short term revenue, okay? And if you have any disruption and you're not properly leveraged, then you have to shrink your business very dramatically. 
I, I think that that's a, a very, very difficult model to be successful. But I, but long term, I'm very, very bullish on office. Middle term, I'm very, very bullish on office. And, and in fact, uh, today we're uh, Windsor Stevens is signing a new lease for 101 Marietta Street, and we're moving our office and getting more space because there's a collaboration and a culture building that uh, you are able to achieve that's intangible um, until you start working on big projects. And you can't build a culture via Zoom as a corporation, as a company. So um, I'm on the middle term, long term, I'm very um, bullish in office. All right. Well, fantastic. Appreciate you sharing those comments. That's a tweetable moment. You can't build a culture via Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Just please use it, but give me um, some uh, credit. Absolutely. I'm going to give you credit. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Anyone else have anything else to uh, contribute or ask about before we start winding up for the day? All right. If any other questions come into the chat box. All right. So that sounds good. Well, it looks like we've covered most of what we want to cover today. Okay. Tanya or Toya. Yes. Toya Gain here. Um, Hey, Toya. Nice to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. Great um, conversation, Mr. Mullis, by you. And I do have a question. Do you see larger developments moving more to the suburban areas as space in the city starts to shrink a little bit? Just curious as to your thoughts on that. You know, there was a a belief that there was going to be a large suburban renaissance relative to office, right? For a number of reasons. You know, some of it was social uh, unrest with the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, folks wanted to be in Alpharetta or, or in Fayetteville. I think what's really happening is being driven by the energy policy of the Biden administration. Um, and it was accelerated um, with the announcement that, you know, General Motors said they're not, they're moving out of the combustible engine business in 15 years. You will not be able to buy a GMC Tahoe with a that uses gas in 15 years. And so you're going to see, I think, electrical vehicles take off. I think that electrical vehicles, you know, may or may not have a long range from battery standpoint. I think that um, so the commutes will probably shorten versus get longer. I don't know if the cities, uh, I was just on the phone this morning with uh, Google Fiber. And Google's doing our buildings, both for our buildings, one in um, Shambly and the one on the West Side Bell Line, the Proctor and the Gordon. And Google's not going to be doing wiring any buildings in Paulden County. Just not. (laughs) It's not going to happen. So I think that um, because of the infrastructure, the water sewer system, City of Atlanta spent $3 billion rebuilding a water and sewer system. I think because of the green infrastructure, the parks, quarry yards, quarry park is opening up, the road grids, the transit, and then the, the new technology, electrical vehicles, 
the sensors that are going to be needed for uh, autonomous vehicles inside of the city and broadband technology, Google Fiber, you will see the urban core fill back up very quickly once we get in the post-COVID world. So once we beat COVID, and I hope we bet beat it, we're supposed to have 200 million people in the United States who have get vaccinated in the next you know 40 days or something like that. You'll see people coming back to the office. I think Google and Microsoft have already announced that they they want people to come back to the office in the third quarter. So I don't I don't know if you're going to see a lot of activity, a lot of capital flowing to the suburban areas like Paulding County or you know Gainesville places like that. I actually agree with that. Toya, was that did that satisfy your uh, your question? Yes, thank you. Okay, all right, fantastic. So. Yeah, I agree with that, Rod. You know, um, when everything broke out, it was, you know, flee for the hills. <laughs> Let's go to Montana. Let's go to Montana. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? So big sky country. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're social people. You know, we like to be around others. We like parks. We like getting together. We like entertainment. We like eating out, you know, and you're going to get just so much of that way out in the burbs, uh, a lot of people, you know, now there is a, an element that loves that, but they're, you know, the, the collapse of the cities, I think is pretty much unfounded. And uh, I think what, what Atlanta is doing and a lot of other cities is, is very impressive. Um, I got a chance to uh, a few, about a, maybe a year and a half ago, visit the uh, Gulch up in Nashville and uh, very impressive what they did there with the, with the freight yards and whatnot. And hopefully we'll see that here in Atlanta as well, uh, which will almost be like creating a city within a city and then you think about the belt line wrapping around it um, and the light rail and all that. I, I think the city is is headed upward as opposed to downward. So I think there's a lot of big things to come. What are your final thoughts as we uh, wrap up for today? I will say for everybody who wants to have an impact, make sure you have a massive impact. Make sure you're not, you know, flipping houses. Make sure you're in there and you're, changing the your communities for the better and add people opportunities so folks can um, be the very best that God made them to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would encourage everybody to form teams, build capacity, and uh, change the city for the better. Yeah, and play ball at a high level. Play ball. Yep. Absolutely. Well, great example, Rod. I, I certainly appreciate it. Um, we'll hopefully catch up a little bit later today. We got some other things to talk about offline. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's good to see you as always. It's exciting to see the pad. Make sure you kiss it goodbye for me. <laughs> <laughs> about to go deliver the keys right now. About there go- you go, man. There you go. <laughs> Jerome Russell was calling me. He said, where's the money? Where's the money? <laughs> <laughs> tell Jerome, I said, what's up? Matter of fact, tell Jerome he owes me a phone call. <laughs> so, Hopefully we'll we'll get together. But yeah, man, but no, excellent time today. I uh, appreciate having you. And uh, let's always keep in touch. And to all of our guests, thank you for being here. Look forward to seeing you next week, Mondays at 10 o'clock for Mornings with Joel Miller, our CRE podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. And we look forward to seeing you next week as well. Thank you so much, Rod. We'll talk thank soon. You, thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. been listening to mornings with joel commercial real estate podcast where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace 
please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.